This is Stephanie Hover, a.k.a. Documentary Girl, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. What are you doing aboard my Star Destroyer? Go listen to Order 66. The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. Damn it. Execute Order 66. Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by mapsofmastery.com. Morning, boys and girls. It is the twenty seventh of June, two thousand and eleven. And you're back for the episode number forty edition of the Order sixty six podcast. My name is GM Dave. I'll be one of your hosts this evening. Um, the other guy that's usually here is like not here, but he is here, and his name is GM Chris. How, how am I? How am I not here? here? You're not physically in this room. No, well, not yeah. Like, like you know, like I live on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I built a summer home here. I live on the internet. <laughs> My name is Luca. <laughs> I live on. What the is internet. up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and this is the Order sixty six podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role playing. And we are coming back to our roots here for a good old show. No special guests. Not that we don't enjoy our special guests. No crazy listener episodes. Not that we don't enjoy our crazy listener episodes. Yes. We're we're getting back to a good old episode. We're going to talk some Star Wars, buddy. And some Saga Edition, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, pal. I'm not your pal, buddy. I'm not your pal, friend, buddy. I'm not your guy. <laughs> not your, I'm not your guy, Chief. <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy! That's right. I just said heavens to Betsy. Oh, the humanity! I'm 87 years old. <laughs> wow! So bad. Oh, it's been a couple weeks, man. I'm I'm glad to be back on the air. I'm glad to have you back on the air, um, especially since we haven't been together back on the air in almost a month. I know. It's, it's the first, dude. I'm glad you're back. I'm really glad you're back. I hate doing the shows by myself. I, I, it, it takes so... I, I don't have your wizardry, okay? Yeah, whatever. <sighs> it's hard. It's hard work. Nobody understands that until they actually do it themselves. I <laughs> True that. Uh, well, speaking of hard work, um, what do you say we kick this pig hard? All right. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Hmm. 
Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, uh, yes. The Dusky Dulcets of, uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Hmm. Dave? I really am really glad you're here because I missed your voice and I want to hear your dulcet tones. Tell me about the featured podcast of the week. Um, can I wait? If you must. I mean, I don't have to. But <clears throat> what I was thinking about was... Um, what I was thinking about is that the fact that it's back. It's, it's, it's back. Oh, oh, that would oh. be that would be Pathfinder. Yeah, Pathfinder Chronicles, the Pathfinder podcast, is back. Were you trying to kick off some cool sound bed and it didn't work? No, actually, um, I don't know what I did. I was I was moving something around on my screen and I clicked behind it on and I panicked immediately because I knew something was about to fire and I got this drum riff for something that I'm not entirely sure what it was. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. So, Chronicles, it's back? It is back, dude. You know, in, in much, a much a hiatus, a way too long. And uh, they're back with, with like, there's like three podcasts. Um... Episode 14, What Lies in Dust, with Michael, what is that, Cortis? Cortez. Cortez. Uh, debuted this week, and there was much rejoicing. Cue the Hallelujah Choir. Anyone? 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 No? Okay. Hallelujah. 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 Still watching cable? <laughs> Yes, I'm still watching cable. <laughs> Damn, this is going to go down as the worst show ever. <laughs> Jesus. When did they start putting freaking ads in the front of YouTube spots? That sucks. They've always done that. That's why you got to have Groove Shark up, baby. But I had like, oh yeah, I guess I could do that. But Yeah, whatever. How about just get the announcement? How's that? I'm just going to throw that out yeah, there. Fine, whatever. So, all right, so with the special build of the Swift Vindicator, an encounter... Uh, lab looking at the arena fight, and Ooh. of course, a long interviews with uh, Cortez, designer and author of the third installment of the Thieves Council modules. What lies in dust? It's epic, but that's not all. It, it's not. And wait, there's more. The Chronicles team also uh, puts out a two-part set of episodes live and post-live from PaizoCon 2011. How about that? Oh, so, awesome. yes. Tune in for the goodness, guys. Welcome back, boys. You guys Glad are awesome. To Glad to have you. And you guys can find more great podcasts to fulfill your gaming needs, as well as other geekly pursuits, over at www.d20radio.com. Dot com. Oh, yeah. Juicy bits of web goodness. So, um, <clears throat> hot off of his, well, sterling appearance. <laughs> <laughs> As co-host of episode 139, uh, Sterling Hershey treats us with a couple of recent additions to his Star Wars Wednesdays blog that actually round off and add to the discussion he and I had, which was really fun. 
Um, so last week, uh, Sterling uh, talks about an aspect of, of published module creation that we, we didn't touch on. Um, creating stat blocks. This is a really cool, little useful article. Uh, it delves into Sterling's really good advice on formatting, very important, as well as the rules for layout and the most common slip-ups that you must guard against when creating stat blocks. Everyone should read this article. Period. Sterling's in the chat, by the way. What's up, Sterling? And he... Uh, yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> And uh, this week, uh, Sterling looks at the other side of the stat block coin, talking about the decisions that go into creating the characters that use those stat blocks. <laughs> Sterling talks about build concepts, ability mechanics, and actual use, and making the most out of your design decisions. And I'm told that we have non-heroics coming this week. That is, that is live from the chat from Mr. Hershey. Oh. A sneak peek. Fantastic. So this Wednesday... As, as well as the prior Wednesdays, you, you've got to head over to www.sterlinghershey.com and experience the passion, the power, and the glory that is the greatest game designer in existence, Sterling Hershey. Yeah. Just, yeah. just saying. That's what we're saying. In fact, we're going to stick to it, and we're going to say that we're just saying. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so. Oh, can I, can I do it? Can I, can I do it? Can I do it? Can you do what? Convention madness. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, uh, yes. Well, you know, there's something called uh, Gen Con. Word. Coming up here in about a month plus four or five days. America's largest gaming convention held in Indianapolis, Indiana, will be August 4th through the 7th. And D20 Radio will be there in force. In fact... GM Chris has registered two official events for the con, and GM Dave is ready to tell you that he will be running a game. Pickup game. Really? Yep. You yep. guys find okay. me. Of what? Mouse Guard. I'll play that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've decided to do it. Good for you, brother. Yep. <laughs> Cat's like in. <laughs> <laughs> Fibs is like dibs, dibs. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, in fact, I might even um, host said pickup game uh, at some odd time in my relatively empty suite across the street. But who knows if we can't find some space? The perks of being a business traveler, uh, you know, because it does suck, folks. Uh, Dave and I both. And Dave travels even more than I do, and it, it does have some bad, bad, bad stuff. Um, is the fact that, you know, one of the perks is the fact that you say at Hilton so much and you get so many Hilton reward points that literally two months before Gen Con, when the Embassy Suites is completely sold out, you can make a phone call <laughs> <laughs> and not only get a suite for yourself, but have it be completely paid for by Hilton. Indeed. Um, hence is Dave. Oh, and now that I'm, now that I'm gold with Hilton, I'm going to be on the freaking executive floor. Oh, you a duke. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So you, it's like that's like duke. free breakfast and all. The, well, free breakfast anyway at the embassy, but they have like a. Um, oh wait, never mind. It's embassy. Embassy does their. This is why I love embassy. Embassy does embassy like the, does stuff for everybody. the stuff for everybody. They have the manager's they, reception in the afternoon where you can go and get sloshed, and they have the free breakfast for everybody in the morning. It's delicious. It's delicious. Heck yes. So obviously you've got your pickup game. I've That's got mine. my Black Nova Gambit game, which is sold out. 
Ah, um, but there's something else. There is something else. The panel. The panel. Creating a successful gaming podcast on Friday from 10 a.m. to noon. Join myself, of course, and Mr. Chris and the boys from the Chronicles of Pathfinder podcast and the Brew City Gamers in a round table style panel where we will answer listener questions, provide tips, tricks, tools for creating a great podcast. Not just good, great podcast. Great. There's all to be a semi-formal meet-and-greet for D20 Radio listeners, so absolutely be there. Please be there. Or be square. And the beautiful thing is that all the hosts that have agreed to participate in the panel will be adorned in these brand new D20 Radio polo shirts that <gasps> look very spiffy, I might add. It's fantastic. There's also going to be other pickup games galore. Cyril's going to be on site running pickup games with Star Wars. So is Vader's son, of course. And DM Vince from Roll for Initiative, Save or Die, is going to be on hand running some officially registered D&D games. Uh, they are sold out, but uh, check the calendar and the, red, the registration cal- catalog if you want to sit in and check it out. It'd be very, very cool. But the big announcement, of course, right now for Gen Con, Dave, is that you, sir, have a T-shirt link. Yeah, we do, as a matter of fact. And uh, as it so happens, after we put our T-shirt link up, it is on. It is available via the D20 Radio main site. Um, we put our T-shirt link up, and lo and behold, I was contacted with someone different in mind, saying that they could make the shirts a little bit cheaper than our original provider. What, what, what? Yes, indeed. So, yeah, they're, they're up there right now at like 15 bucks a shirt. I am getting ready to change the link. And the T-shirts will now be a base price of $11 a shirt. So it's going to go down like 4 bucks. But, Dave, Dave, what about all those people that have already pre-ordered these things and paid full price? Well, I'm going to take all their money. No, not really. If you're within the sound of my voice, one of the beautiful things of PayPal is I can refund you without losing any money of yours. So we're going to refund them all and then have ask you guys to re, uh, re-up. So that way you don't have to pay the extra four bucks. We thought that would be a gentle compromise. A little bit of annoyance, but you're going to save some bucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> we didn't think you guys would complain too terribly much. Right. We didn't. We didn't. I mean, you might, but I would hope you wouldn't. One would hope. Yeah. And that's how it goes. Yep. What's next? I lost Uh, you. uh, I was about to say I lost you, dude. I was about to say I lost you. Uh. But I didn't. What's next? But I didn't. Mmm. Yummy. Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yes. Yes, sir. This is the D twenty docking bay. 
And for those of you that are not completely understood of what the D20 Docking Bay actually is, I will have you know that this is where we answer listener questions via web, forum post, PM, email, lose a line. And what is that lose a line? Lose a line? You mean you mean area code two zero six six hundred five eight seven two? Yes, that is the one. L U S A. Loser! How about it, man? How about it, about it, about it? That's awesome. All right, so <clears throat> the next question here. What do we got? Um, it is sent to us by the wonderful, wonderful. GM Bo. Okay. As in B-O. Bo. Bo, 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 Bo. And he says this, I've got a very quick question regarding the Damage Reduction 10, or DR10 for short, Force Talent, from the Core Rulebook. Does this give you damage reduction for damage done through Force Powers? Though indeed, use the Force as a skill. Force Grip and similar actions are, in every sense of speaking, an attack. Your thoughts? Hmm. Well, the much-beloved talent Bo is referring to is, of course, the Damage Reduction 10 Force Talent on page 101 of the Core Rulebook. DR10 is part of the Control Talent Tree, and it costs you a Force Point to activate as a standard action. Afterwards, though, you gain DR10 for one full minute. That is 10 rounds, boys and girls. Look, most of us are familiar with, with, with Damage Reduction, or DR, and how it works, but it is clarified in detail on page 158 of the Core Rulebook. If you have DR, as the rules say, you ignore that many points of damage from, quote-unquote, each attack that you take. Lightsabers, of course, do ignore DR. One of the nice things about lightsabers. But to Bo's question, does DR apply against force powers? As we've noted before on the show, force powers don't use attack rolls. They use skill checks. And this is honestly a case, Bo, where where I think over-analysis kind of equals paralysis on this. The intent of DR is very clear, so let's not get too hung up on the words. Saga frequently uses attack as a shorthand for any damaging effect that targets you. Um, now, that's different from an attack roll, which is a very specific term. Um, you know, but an attack isn't an attack roll necessarily, and, and that's the case here. So, yeah, uh, DR does work against damage from force powers. Uh, if you take damage from a single source, DR applies. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, kind of, sort of? Yeah, dude. It does makes sense to me, man. I, and I'm a big fan of the DR10, by the way. It's a great talent, man. It's a fantastic talent. I've taken it with most of my Force users. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. All right, so Big Dumb Gamorian posts up a tricky question okay. about uh, species in Saga. He says sometimes okay. multiple books have entries on the same species. <laughs> sometimes. sometimes. The species traits are consistent between the books. Other times, the species traits are even, and even the ability modifiers are different. Some examples of species I know where this applies are Nemoidians, the Shadrafans, the Bith, Barabels, and many others. Usually in one book, they were intended to be a PC playable race and were, me- and were meant for NPC use only in another book. So how does this work? Does the player get to pick which, uh, which set of species traits he wants for his characters? Are there newer books considered errata for the older books? And you go with whatever was published most recently? 
or maybe it's one well, of these it, traits reserved for NPCs and PCs use the other set. I'm, am I way overthinking this? And Skype is a <laughs> Skype is an absolute bitch tonight. It truly is. Um, I wonder if it's coming through on the recording. I don't know. It is, and it's terrible. It, oh, that's awful. That's absolutely awful. Uh, well, I don't think you're overthinking this, Gamorian. I think it's a good question. There are several instances where a species appears as a small like NPC stat block in a saga book, and you get a full PC style write up in later books. Um, you know, all the ones you mentioned are are good examples, and let's not forget the prime example, the first one, which is the Yuzen Vong. Uh, it's in that list as well. So, so which do you use? Um, you know, obviously, there's been no official clarification, but there has been some dev advice on the subject. And the semi-official word is that it's ultimately up to your GM, but that the later published stats are preferred. And at the very least, the small slash back of the book slash sidebar stat blocks are pretty much solely intended for NPC use. So if you have a full species chapter right up, that's the one you should be using for your PC. Make there sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. Oh. Okay, so uh, oh. uh, Sojourner oh. posted up a good question about uh, creatures and encounter design. So I have a group of level 10 players that are going to Dathomir. And what GM can resist throwing rancors at the party? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was laying out an encounter for a couple of Dathomiri witches and a couple of rancors when I noticed that the rancor Hello? has a will defense of only 10. Yes. Hello. What's going on, dude? Uh, I don't know. You, I just stopped hearing you. That's really weird because I'm talking, which is really odd to me. I'm telling you, Skype is Skype is jacked. And see now, all this little blah 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 is coming back. How choppy and terrible. Anyway, what I was saying. <laughs> oh my God! Now I just lost Skype entirely. What I was saying is, we'll go ahead and say that I'm going to recall GM Chris and see if this is any better, which is just flat odd to me. So, <laughs> is the quality any better now? It sounds a whole hell of a lot better, actually. Yeah, it does to me, too. Well, yeah, it did. All right, so Death and Mary Witch is in a couple of Rancors, right? So he notices yeah. that the Rancor has a will defense of only 10, making it a real good candidate to move four or five snaps down the condition track with a single force stun from a mid-level character. In looking through threats, there aren't any beasts with an applicable, uh, applicable will defense, 13 is the max, to make them much of a challenge to force users with force stun. Do you have any thoughts on how to create a challenging yet not over-the-top encounter, e.g. lots of Rancors, or um, <laughs> are mid-level characters just beyond being challenged by beasts? Thanks, Sojourner. Wow. Well, first of all, Sojourner, remember to take a look at your errata, okay? Uh, in terms of the first part of your question, the Force Stun power was errated beyond the original flawed version, which went against the Will Defense. Um, and it was flawed because of reasons just like this. The current and correct version of Force Stun, which is laid out in the errata, actually attacks Fortitude Defense. And increasingly larger-sized creatures get an increasingly larger bonus to their fortitude defense against that force power. So it's really hard to force stun a Rancor. <laughs> um, <laughs> that alone makes the Rancor uh, much more of a threat against the force users. 
But on the whole, man, if you're looking for some tips for beastly threats at mid to high levels, there's a few good points that I can recommend. Um, in my own games, you know, if you've got a beast, okay, like a Rancor, that is the same or lower level than the heroes, it, it's really a simple matter of just tacking a few levels onto it to make it a tougher challenge. And without too much work, okay, be sure to check out the beast section on page 273 of the core rulebook, which goes into, you know, adding levels to the beast, as well as the unknown regions, okay, for tips on beast building and leveling. Um, or, in your case specifically, grab the Force Unleashed campaign guide and check out the Bull Rancor. It's a really yeah. nasty Rancor, it's a bit higher level, and it should challenge your level 10 party pretty well. So, yes. Good suggestion. All right, dude, that's fantastic. So, lastly. Lastly. Cien Scone posts oh. up a, fact, a fast-acting query, and it says... The Scoundrel Talent Quick Strike states that if you damage an enemy who hasn't acted yet, here we go again, in the initial round, you may make a free attack against another foe. Here's the question. Is the initial round considered to only be the first official round of combat, or could it be the surprise round? Bing, bing, bing. I'm building a character who uses Surprise Strike, Scoundrel Talent, from the Force Unleashed Campaign Guide, to initiate combat with a surprise round. When using surprise strike, all right. foes are considered surprised even if they are aware of you. Right? Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to decide if quick strike is worth taking. That's really cool, actually. It is cool. That's like a very cool build, Scon. <clears throat> now to your question. Um, now for those following along, quick strike, talent, page 19 of Galaxy at War. It has prerequisites of cheap trick, uh, the talent, not the band. <laughs> I was going for that, too. How did you know? <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it works just like Scon describes it. Um, you know, during the quote-unquote first round of combat, if you damage a foe who hasn't acted yet, you can make another attack against a different foe within six squares on the first uh, of the six squares of the first foe as a free action during that round. Very cool. But what is the first round of combat? Okay, and we, we had some pretty well-played-out discussion on the boards over this issue. My opinion... The first round is the first round. It's the first round where someone acts. If there's a surprise round, great. That's the first round. Otherwise, first round is the first round. <laughs> At least that's my take on it. Um, in other words, you know, do surprise, do surprise rounds count as the first round? Yeah, I think so. If they happen, that is. If they happen. If they happen. So, and they don't always. It's not easy to have a surprise round. So. Right. It's old. It's a fault. We are a baby. It's so. a boy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, very good questions, guys. Keep them coming. Of course, you guys can get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums. You can email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. You can call the Lusta line, 206-600-5872. L-U-S-A. And, uh... You know, hey, give us some questions, man. Leave us some liners while you're at it. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast, because we want to know. Indeed we do. Come to order. Chancellor, 
Request a motion to suspend the rules. You're gonna suspend the rules? Shut up, Shaja! Motion granted. My Will! Name, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> Love it. Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Gamer Nation, where we talk about the house rules submitted by you in a semi-regular segment. And uh, as Dave so apropoly put, um, we have a, a, a Princess Bridey in Eagle Montoya-esque house rule for you this evening. Ah, yes, uh, we do. Th- th- this is like one of the more interesting set of completely new house rules that's been introduced in our forums. I, I liked it. Um, it came- I uh, was inspired by Starship Combat to to whip up like a dogfight-esque mechanic for personal combat, which he calls the duel. Now, there's been a lot of really good discussion about this house rule in the forums. It's been refined like three times, so we thought we'd give it a look. Ah, David, yes. hit, hit us up with these rules of his, man. This works a lot like dogfighting, yeah? All right, so huh? yes, first, engaging. Engage! Okay. To engage another character in uh, a duel... You and your target must be wielding melee weapons and your opponent must be within your reach. So, you must succeed in an opposed acrobatics or initiative check as a standard action if the target wishes to duel you. They may purposefully fail this check, by the way. There may be more than two people in a duel, but you must beat the acrobatics or initiative check of all dueling characters. Nice. So, second. This is actually dueling. Dueling is a full round action. On your turn, you make an opposed initiative or acrobatics check. If you succeed, you may strike. Strike him down. This attack is treated as a one-square area attack, deal uh, dealing full damage on a hit, half on a miss. This represents the difference between a nearly blocked strike and an unstoppable flurry of blows. Sub-bullet to this is, I've also been considering the idea of adding sort of a ready action instead of attacking, either allowing you to roll attack or initiative in place of reflex defense. Or should I just allow the duelist to fight defensively? Are these good ideas, or do they add unnecessary complications? Any feedback on this new idea would be welcome. And then the third is disengaging. Disengaging from a duel is a full round action requiring a successful opposed initiative or acrobatics check against all duelists. This check allows you to retreat as per the withdrawal action. Even if you are unable to withdraw, you are considered out of the duel. You just can't move. Right. You kill my father. Stop saying that! <laughs> uh, okay, so, I, I don't know, dude. Like, thoughts. Th- this is interesting. I, I like several parts of it, and, and I'm kind of hung up on some others. Um, let's talk about what we like about it. Ah, what we like. Fair stuff. Um, I don't know, man. What do you, I mean, what do you like about this? Well, um... I like the fact that a guy trained, you know... The trained duelist can affect a uh, a great deal of battlefield control, which is mm. fun. Which is fun. It's yummy. Very good. Yeah. 
Um, I like the increased importance that this places on initiative and acrobatics. Anything that gives skills that normally only have one use, multiple new uses that are going to be more commonly used, I'm a huge fan of. Um, oh, yeah. Heck yeah. So I like that a lot. Dude, speaking of that, would you not want to use this a little bit more if you knew half you were going to get half damage on a miss? Isn't that wicked cool? That's actually pretty cool, yeah. Because I was thinking to myself, it's like, wow, okay, why would I want to do this? I mean, yeah, he's got a, you know, if, if I've got a super high initiative or acrobatics, it's kind of like dogfighting. He's got to beat that before he can hit me. But, man, that half damage thing, that, that's really cool. That makes dueling pretty deadly. And if you're a poor duelist, it makes you want to get out of the duel, um, which I, I really do like. Um, okay, so, okay, things things we don't like. Um yeah that it's well okay it, it, it seems like it's really easy to lock characters into a single pair of squares for like the entire encounter okay and i think i think unfortunately saga with melee combat suffers from that problem already for melee characters there's whole not a whole lot of board movement for melee characters you know what i mean they tend to get in their square and stay there until the foe is dead true um and I think this this actually encourages that. I, I don't necessarily feel that's a good mechanic to encourage. Yeah. Uh, what else, man? Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, you know, <clears throat> along with locking in, I don't you think the um, dogfighting dog rules fight. should be um, followed pretty much precisely? I mean, it's not a full round to attack. I didn't. I didn't like that. Yeah, that's true. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna make this like dogfighting, I would I would copy them. You're right, right, dude. Standard action to make your post check, and then a swift action to make your attack roll, just like dogfighting, because that would give you like an extra move action during your round. And I mean, you can't leave the dogfight, you can't leave the duel, but you could use that move action, right? You can use it to do other stuff. Yeah, you know, and that is that is somewhat cinematic in your in your duel. I mean, if you get like disarmed and then you draw an extra weapon, you know, or something like that. Or yeah, you know, or any number of things, right? You can like, uh, you can like pick up a candlestick holder to uh, to block the foe's uh, weapon as it's coming down on your head. Yeah, um, or activate a force power if you're a Jedi. That makes sense to me. Um, <clears throat> if it has an appropriate action cost of you know move or less, so like battle strike or something like that. Battle strike. Oh, now we're just getting way too out of hand. Oh yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, but but all in all, you know, with a couple changes, I think this could be a really a, a fun little rule. Um, and I think if you've got a lot of melee combatants in the party, it could be a really cool way to kind of spice things up. Um, and I love the fact that it mirrors the dog fighting mechanic. Uh, you know, again, we talked about it before. If you're going to introduce a new rule, use what's already there whenever you can. Oh yes, indeed, absolutely, dude. So I like it. Eilowin, good work. I like good to work. move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Oh, move it! Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Right there. All right. So anyway, so if you guys have noticed, I've just been a tad distracted, and it was really? because I was uh, updating everybody's t-shirt orders, and there were a bunch. And so they are all. You, they are, you had to do that right now during the show live. Yeah, just cause I could. Um, and I wanted to get the new link up while we were talking about it. Because all these people, all these fine people in the chat room are probably going in right now and ordering their T-shirts. And how can I tell the new ones from the old ones? Just very, very dangerous stuff, you know, as I 
as I move forward into this great unknown and this nebulous environment such as the interwebs. It's um It's a scary place, Dave. It is. It's it's a very, very scary place and you know, whatever, whatever. So anyway, we're gonna stop down for just a second and we're gonna talk uh about fragments from the rim. Ooh. That regular installment that hardly ever misses a beat. As GM Phil is back with this fragments number eighty two. My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? Welcome to the 82nd Fragments from the Rim. I'm Darth GM, and in preparation for an upcoming project, I'm going back to Starships of the Galaxy to give my opinion on a few key Starship modifications. There's a real good chance that if you're playing a Star Wars campaign, someone in the party is going to have a Starship they want to trick out to their style and satisfaction. More often than not, the ship in question is a transport of some sort usually used to ferry around the PCs from one planet to the next. There are very few space transports out there that are sufficient to your average PC's needs right out of the book. Most stock transports are usually undergunned, slow as molasses, and have paper-thin shields and armor. But with the right modifications, and a sufficient amount of credits, you can turn your transport into a rocket gunship the envy of any bounty hunter or militia group. Here are my top five recommended must-have upgrades for any space transport. First, combat thrusters. These bad boys allow your space transport to be treated as one size category smaller when targeted by capital ship weapons. That's a minus 20 penalty applied to some of the nastiest cannons in space. If you're in a transport and you don't have this modification and an Imperial Star Destroyer appears, well heck, even if a Corellian Corvette appears, you'd better stay the hell out of its range. I don't know many ships that can take too many hits from guns that apply at times 5 multiplier to damage. Combat thrusters must have. 2. Shields. At the very least, you should upgrade your shields to the highest you can without increasing the emplacement point cost of your shield generators to your ship. If you have the space, or can afford to lose the cargo space, upgrade them even further. A shield rating of 45 will protect you quite well from your average starfighter damage when paired with your hull's damage reduction. If you've got the cash and space, invest in a shield with a rating of 55 for your transport. It's the biggest shield you can fit in a space transport-sized ship, and will render your craft immune to just about all standard starfighter weapons short of torpedoes or critical hits. 3. Ion Cannons I have a love-hate relationship with these guys. They can be handy, but only if you're dealing enough damage to not only beat the target's shields and damage reduction, but also beat the ship's damage threshold, too. Rip out any Ion Cannons that only deal 4 dice of damage or less. They're so not worth it at that point. Either install some heavier ion cannons, fire link them together, or use my next favorite modification to give your ions some punch and a chance to deal more than just half damage to the target. It's that, or take them out entirely and replace them with weapons that don't have their damage cut in half. The next modification and fourth on my list, double and quad cannons. These somewhat pricey improvements are worth the credits if you've got them. They take the base cannon, increase the dice of damage by one or two, depending if you double or quad them, make it able to do auto-fire, which can actually help your less skilled gunners contribute to the engagement as long as they can hit a 10. But the great benefit is squeezing extra dice of damage out of some low-legality weapons without making them military-grade. Quad cannons have a restricted legality, so as long as your base cannon is restricted or lower, your ship shouldn't raise too many eyebrows in more civilized systems. 
Tricked out properly, we're talking about quad cannons dealing six dice of damage and quad ion cannons dealing seven dice of damage, all with restricted legality. If you don't care about legality, think about adding cannon enhancements on top of that. Now we're looking at some really expensive guns, but who wouldn't want enhanced quad laser cannons that hit as hard as concussion missiles? One important note for ion cannons. Only light ion cannons get to do auto-fire. You can still double or quad out mediums and heavies, but they won't be able to make auto-fire attacks. Finally, my last recommendation is for PC transport modifications is passenger space. In many cases, PCs will be spending a lot of downtime on board their ship. This may end up being fluff and never come into play in an action sequence, but be nice to your characters and give them their own rooms. Failing that, at least rooms where they only have to share it with one other character. For quality of life, a basic luxury upgrade will make the ship less sterile and utility and make it feel more homey with many of the basic comforts of home. So grab your favorite noble with the wealth, talent, or win that subuck tournament so you can upgrade your ship to be the most wicked combat craft in the sector. Until next time, this is Darth GM wishing you 20 side up, 1 side down. You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim and Transmission. And transmission, please. Ah, uh, you ship monkeys, you're so cute. <laughs> you know, you know, they do things like that because that's just the way it is. <laughs> well done, Phil. Well yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, it's awesome. I love the quad cannon quad. idea. That's great. All right, so it's been a little while, and uh, I get to fire off one of my favorite little beds right here. Visions of the Forest Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, and right there. Emma Sells in the chat asking what's the name of that song. We we get that all the time, and it's the the name of the band is Clanad, and it is uh, themed to uh, Harry's game. Ah, themed to Harry's game, Clanad. Ah, uh, yes. Well, okay. Now you know. Thanks thanks to a listener request, we return to a much beloved and fairly new segment of our show with an original request from GM Brev, which was supported by many other listeners. The Order sixty six podcast has begun to take the time tackling the various Force traditions that are out there and a bit off the beaten path. Galaxy, she is a wide and disparate place. The Jedi and the Sith are not the only boys on the block. Not the only ways of the Force to gain acceptance and practice by many, many people. Some of these Force traditions are quite unusual, and it is one such tradition that we'll be focusing on tonight. received the following letter a couple of weeks ago from Eric Braumgarten. Am I pronouncing that right, Dave? Yes. Okay. And uh, he well, what, 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 did, what did he write in? What did, Eric, what did Eric write in to us? All right, so Eric writes this. First, he says, I never listened to the Order 66 podcast. So thank you very much so for that. You. Appreciate it. But since I'm not listening, I wonder if you guys could not talk about the Felonasi. I'm GMing a new Jedi Order game where a new player is coming in, and he wants to be a Felonasi. I don't even know who the hell they are. So, there you go. Eh. 
That, that they, they prefer it that way. I kind of know I, what they are, but I was wondering what I need to be on the lookout for as a GM and was going to ask if you could delve into them on the podcast. It would be graciously appreciated. Well, you know what? Who can say no to that, dude? The Order 66 cod piece is here to serve you. <laughs> That's right. We are here for you, Eric. And for the rest of you. So prepare, Gamer Nation, to enter the vaults of the Visions of the Force as we struggle to locate the ever-elusive and always player-popular Falanasi. Ah, yes. So can you give so, us a brief history of the Falanasi? I think we can accomplish that. What are they exactly? So like, like you said, dude, who the 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 follow the follow the follow what's a the follow what's a hoozy bangers? <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you're saying follow now. Who who are these jokers? What are they all about? How, never heard of them before. How do they fit into the Star Wars universe? This doesn't make any sense at all. Hey, you uh, you um, would have seen one in the cantina during episode seven. Yeah, yeah, during episode seven. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. Ironically, um, despite their traditions, which focus on being unknown to the galaxy at large, uh, the Falunasi are actually a tradition that has a lot of player love. I mean, there's some serious fanboyism over the Falunasi. There's a huge fan following for these secretive Force users. Um, and I'm, I'm just quite frankly anxious to talk about them. Yes, as am I, sir. So, okay, when we talk about you know the Falunasi in general in terms of what they are, I'm reminded of a of a brief. Uh, you remember that, that that internet video that got a little bit of popularity a while back with 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 that weirdo Chris Crocker? Not really. Like, leave Britney alone. Okay, I'll believe it. You need to go, you, you need to go YouTube it later. All right. Uh, that's kind of what I think of when I think of the fallen Nazi. Just like just leave 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 me alone. That's basically what they're all about. The Falunasi are this, this ancient order of Force users, um, though no one knows exactly how old. But based on their own stories and legends, they actually probably predate the Republic itself. The reason that there is so little historical information on them is that the order has fanatically devoted itself to keeping their own existence secret from the galaxy. They don't involve themselves in galactic events. In fact, that's why the order exists to keep its members and the people of its society from ever being noticed by the galaxy at large. Um, well, good. Because they don't want to know. They, they, I know, I know. Um, you know, people ask, you know, why, why do they do this? Okay, well, well, well no one is really quite sure. Um, when, when asked about it by, by those of you who have ever been in the position to do so, the Fallen Odyssey themselves claim to have seen the results of events caused by those who use the Force for their own personal gain, and they choose not to involve themselves in such incidents. Some outsiders believe, based on this cryptic answer, that a great tragedy caused by one or more members of their order in the past spawned these beliefs. It's really just all speculation. We don't know. Um, you know, but hey, Dave, what? When you look at galactic history, you know, especially in the, I guess, quote-unquote, modern era of Star Wars... Uh, you know, the, the Empire and all that. Um, a, any student of, of Star Wars history can can witness their point of view time and time again when it comes to using the Force to abuse personal power. Of course, you know. I mean, after the Hindenburg blew up, you know, the airships went away completely. Yeah, that, no, that would be the Death Star, actually. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about um, 
the Falunasi in general, in terms of of what makes them a little a little different in terms of their their proclivities regarding uh, a home world or or uh, where they find themselves. It's because they're a wanderer. He's a wanderer. Yep, they're nomads, dude. Okay. So uh, they don't really have a home world or a regular base of operation because they wander. They keep their communities really small, issue any major possessions at all, and, you know, basically it's all in an effort to make it easier to migrate. Right. So when their presence is discovered, they simply move like roaches when you turn the lights on. Pretty much. They uproot. Find a new planet to live on, and they leave no trace behind, indicating the location of their new home. So this nomadic lifestyle has really become a staple of Falunasi culture. Hmm. So, as such, uh, it's very, very hard to locate them. That's why nobody really knows who they are, (laughs) right? And uh, when you do locate them, if you blink, they're gone, and they won't be there very much longer. So by the time you say, hey, hey! Look, I found... Oh. Oh. Sure you did. Nice try. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So if they... uh, This is the case, how come anyone ever knows about them? What, what, nobody ever meets one of these these guys? It's like a slug bug that you never saw. Nah, you didn't really see a slug bug. No. So anyway, however... I have to say, as custom dictates, each 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 generation of Falunasi appoints a single representative to wander the galaxy and determine the current state of affairs outside their own civilization. And they report back with any threats or potential threats to Falunasi existence, allowing the Order to move yet again and preserve their way of life. Okay, so it's possible that somebody out there in the wild, wide, wide and wild galaxy could encounter one of these generational wanderers. Yes. Okay. Yes, there was one Falunasi that has been uh, excommunicated from the Order, and his name is Fred. Oh, okay. I'll have to put him in my campaign. Yeah, but he was eaten by a Sarlacc. Yeah, that's non-canon, Gamer Nation. Just saying that's non-canon. Non-canon. Like everything that comes out of my pie hole, it's pretty much non-canon. I'll buy that. So, obviously, that's the Falunasi and who they are. Now, in terms of... of, of Star Wars history and some rediscovery, though the majority of the galaxy has really never heard of these people, um, the only real notable figures from Star Wars history and lore uh, to discover and learn of the Falunasi were two people, Luke Skywalker and Jason Solo. Now, Luke encountered them after the Black Fleet crisis, and he actually was able to secure their aid to create an illusory fleet to force uh, the the Ethan threat to stand down. Jason Solo, among his other amazing accomplishments... Jason Jason found and trained with everybody who was never supposed to be found, pretty much. Um, but that's what he did. He actually found and trained with the Falunasi for uh, a brief time, about five years after the Vong War. But, you know, hey, after each interaction, the Falunasi, you know, reverted into hiding, and they disappeared for a new home. And that's what they do. It's what they did. So, there you go. Yeah. It's odd, but, hey, that's the way of life, right? For them. Yeah. So, um... Let me ask you this. Can you tell me what... Kind of give me a primer on the waves of the Falunasi. What do they believe in? What, How they separated from the Jedi, or the Sith for that matter, aside from a eternal desire to play hide-and-seek. <laughs> and um, 
What about their values, their abilities? Okay. Um, well, okay, I'll start by talking. Let's talk about the, the, the philosophy of the Fallen Aussie. The, the philosophy of the Fallen Aussie. Ah, say that ten times fast. Huh? Philosophy of the Fallen Aussie. Philosophy of the Fallen Aussie. Didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> so, okay, it, it's a group of force users, right? But don't tell them that. <laughs> Interestingly, the Fallen Aussie don't believe in the force. Okay, at least they don't call it that. And they certainly don't believe that it behaves the same way that the Jedi, the Sith, and many other traditions believe it behaves. They believe in this thing which they call the white current. Um, instead of, what was, what was Obi-Wan's famous description of, 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 the, of, of the force? You know, it, 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 surrounds, it, you know, it surrounds us all. Let it flow through you. Yes, it binds the universe together. You know, this right. is energy feeling. Um, that's not what they believe. They believe in the white current. Um, you know, the force for the Falanasi is more like a strong river than an energy field. It, it, it is a power that guides you, and it can be drawn from, but in order to do that, you must immerse yourself in it and let it flow through you. You don't shape it to your will. You mean it controls uh, your actions? Yes, but it also obeys your commands. Ah. See, that's that's that is very Jedi. That the, you know, the Falanasi, they're they're not about that. That second part, it's it's very much you do with the white current. You flow with the white current. It, there is no give and take. You know, the Jedi, you you obey the will of the Force. You seek the will of the living Force, but you can also it, you can also use it to bend it to your own will. Yes. that is not Falanasi way. Um. And this is very consi- fitting, considering their nomadic traditions. If you think about the the allegory between their nomadic history and and the way in which they live, and the whole you know following along with the flow of the of the white current, you know, we go, we blow, the wind takes us. <laughs> ah, yes, it's very nice. Um, other things that are very important to the Falunasi, uh, probably the most important thing to them, obviously, privacy and secrecy. Uh. Without a doubt, privacy is the most valued right of any Falunasi, both personally and communally. It is the, the, the key point of their existence, is privacy and secrecy. Ah, so a punishment beyond death itself would be to place a Falunasi in a public square. <laughs> Potentially. Although they probably would just stand there and not be noticed, which is the beauty of the Falunasi, which we'll come to. Um... So, lastly, for the Fallen Aussie, in terms of their philosophy, communal living and a normal life. They're, they're communalists. The Fallen Aussie, they're not stuffy monks devo- you know, or, or devoted to a, a hard-life ideal of sacrifice. Their abilities exist to keep the community safe and secret, and they are communalists. As such, unlike Jedi, they have families. They marry, they have children, and those children are expected to carry on the forest traditions of the white current. That is what they do. That is all they do is keep their society going and secret. So that's what they do. Nice. So, okay, talk, talk to me about, because we kind of touched on this briefly, mentioned it, hinted at it. Talk to me about some of the powers of the Fallen Aussie. What makes them unique from a force use perspective? Well, the adepts of the uh, White Current really have, have found an, uh, ways, naturally found ways to use the force in a manner that allows them to remain uh, hidden and unnoticed because, after all, that is very important to them. So uh, being unseen and unheard, first and foremost, that uh, the Falunasi master force powers, that 
allow them to become invisible and go unnoticed. Like cloak, for example. It's very common. But they have a unique tradition that also teaches them to use the Force for stealth and, of course, how to become completely undetectable by electronic sensors. How's that? Sweet. Yeah. So for illusion and deception. Sometimes, you know, remaining hidden requires more than just being unnoticed, and it uh, requires some misdirection as well. Yeah, so the Fallen Aussie are adept at this, frequently uh, mastering powers of illusion or mental manipulation. Mind trick is very common, as is the illusion talent and all of its upgrades. And uh, finally, of course, you must give yourself to the current. Fall into the current. Be the current. Direct current, not alternating current. This is perhaps the most signature ability of the Falanasi, the focus on immersing themselves into the white current to quickly evade danger or gain fantastical boosts to personal force powers. Cool. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. Cool. Well, lastly, let's let's take a brief look at the, I guess, in terms of the, the ways of the Falanasi. Let's talk about their trappings. Um the Falunasi order differentiates itself from other force-using traditions in that they really don't rely on any type of signature item of power or, or a symbol of status. No fancy robes, no glowy laser sword. Nah. Uh, they, are, they are simple people whose only real trapping is that they have very few possessions. Uh, you know, they're, they're secretive as a way of life, and any weapons that they use would be small, easily concealed, subtle, and very effective from hiding. Um. Other than that, there's really, really no standard. You can find Falunasi of all types, but they are not a lightsaber-wielding culture. So okay, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. They kind of, you know, that's kind of a loud weapon. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, light in the darkness kind of thing. I yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I, probably yeah, probably not the best thing to, to use there. So. <laughs> Holdout blasters, vibro daggers, pistols. Okay, these are these are the weapons of the Falunasi, generally speaking. Gotcha. So, okay, let's <clears throat> expand on this a bit because you mentioned it earlier, Dave, that they have a specific set of traditions that are taught to their own um, to use the force in unique ways. Let's talk about the mechanics of the, these adepts of the White Current. There are, of course, several actual Falunasi-specific talents available to players wishing to to Im- immerse themselves in the white current. Oh my gosh, let me guess. There's a white current talent tree. The white current adept talent tree. Oh. Hey, it's not the Fallen Aussie talent tree. you got to give them that. Yeah, that's true. It's found on page 77 of the Jedi Academy training manual, and it consists of five talents that make you a veritable ghost. And uh, we are going to talk about them. All right, so cool. Hit... Hit me up with the first talent that we're going to talk about, man. All right, let's talk about the White Current Adept. Okay. This is the core talent of the entire tree. Prerequisite for the next two talents that we'll be talking about. Basically, it allows you to make a Use the Force check in place of a Stealth check. And if you've been listening at all in the last four and a half minutes, you know that that's what it's for. Use the Force in place of Stealth. And you're now considered trained in stealth. Nice. 
Nice. It's a nice. basic substitution talent, signature ability of the Polonasi. Word. I like it. And, you know, we love the substitution talents. You know, it's one of those things, if you're going to be a Force user and a Force wizard, and you're going to train and use the Force, and you're going to skill focus use the Force, you get a talent, and all of a sudden you can do all that cool stealthy stuff, regardless of your class, regardless of having to be trained in the scale or skill focus in it, you all of a sudden become a, a, a totally awesome stealthy character. Very cool. Now, the next talent, which, of course, as we mentioned, white current added is in, is in uh, a prereq for, um, is Force Immersion. Now, this is the upgraded signature ability of the Falanasi. If White Current Adept is the signature ability, this is the upgraded version. Now, I love this. You can <laughs> use the sneak application of stealth, or in your case, use the force since you've got White Current Adept, to hide from electronic surveillance. <laughs> Anyone attempting to detect you with sensors or any electronic surveillance equipment must beat your stealth or use the force check with a used computer check. Basically, you are now officially a ghost. You, you can have a planet of white current adepts that can hide from an entire cruiser group in orbit trying to look for them. Absolutely wonderful. Dude. <laughs> Very ghostly. Oh, yes. All right, so uh, how about Immerse Another? Okay. Which is uh, basically now your abilities become useful to the party. <clears throat> Again, white current okay. adept requirement. This says when you make a use a stealth or use the fourth check. Well, it says stealth check, but you can do use yeah. You can do use the force as your stealth. So your check also applies to one ally that is adjacent to you, and so does force immersion if you have it. You can even spend a force point to do this for every adjacent ally. How about that? <laughs> so for a force point, I can pretty much hide my entire party using my Mondo Insane Stealth check. And if I also have force immersion, I can pretty much make the entire party immune to electronic surveillance. That would be really ideal if you're like trying to sneak into a place. Wicked. Um, absolutely wicked. So... Those are the, the core real stealth abilities of the tree. Now, the last two um, are a little different, and I like them. <clears throat> uh, the, the first one, uh, these, these guys have no prereqs. The first one is called Ride the Current. And no, it's not a surfing metaphor, okay? Kind of. Not, not really. A as a reaction to being damaged by an attack or force power, you can spend a force point to gain total concealment from all targets until the end of your next turn. Oh. 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 And if you haven't taken wow. your second wind yet, you can do so as part of the reaction. Whoa, dude, man. This is a get that talent. Yeah, this is this is the... You know, yeah, you, you kicked off the BBC warning. I'll, I'll say it. This is the ultimate get out of shit for free talent right here. I mean, yeah, you just got hit and jacked up, but oh, God! All of a sudden, you're invisible with total concealment and... Uh, you know, you can take your second wind as a reaction. That's huge. That's right. Love it. Love it. That's right, dude. Okay, talk to me about the last town to treat you, because this is, this is a doozy. It's very unusual, and I like it a lot. This one is uh, called Surrender to the Current. It's very unusual. can be uh, very situational, but incredibly powerful. Basically, you surrender yourself to the white current and let it flow about you and fuel your force powers. As a swift action, you activate this ability. 
until the end of the encounter. You cannot use any force powers that you don't have, or that don't have you as the sole target. That's very limiting. Yeah. However, once per turn as a swift action, you can recover any any spent force power that has you as the sole target without spending a force point. Adding that power back to your suite. Ah, so okay, awesome. so 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 hang on. So so it doesn't cost you a force point to activate it. Last till the end of the encounter, and you're severely limited in the force powers you can use. But the ones that you can use, which have you as the target, you can just return to your suite as a swift action for free until the end of the encounter. Yeah, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I mean. You might say well, wait, there's a, a, wait, 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 wait. Like, okay, dude, like, what? You as a target? There's like two force powers that fit that bill. See, you say that, but let me let me enlighten you. There's surge, energy resistance, kinetic combat, resist force, force shield, dark rage. If you're into that sort of thing, cloak, levitate, phase, shatter point, force track, inertia. And oh, by the way, battle strike. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so what? They're, but they're mostly self-buffing or defensive. Power. Yeah, that, that is true. That, yeah, but you know that's kind of in keeping with your tradition. Very true. That ain't, and that ain't bad. <laughs> this is a very strange talent. I can see it being very good for certain builds. Imagine recalling battle strike every single time you needed it. Every brown, just spend a swift to that's, recall it. So that's boom, not boom, bad. Boom, boom. That's not bad at all. Or surge, or of course you always miss I, with I'm, battle strike anyway. So you know, dude. Yeah, I know. I'm a huge fan of force shield, um, phase. That's huge. And then of course, obviously, cloak is going to be the signature power. Yeah. Um, and that's got a target of you. Okay, dude. I, I see where this can be used. This is this is pretty cool. This yeah. is pretty cool. It's not bad. You know, it's it it is a strange little talent, but. You know, I can see certain builds really getting a good use out of this. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So. Oh. All right. So let's let's immerse ourselves in the white current now. Ah, okay. Immerse yourself. Like a hot spring filled with champagne, nubile ladies. Ah, yes, Inigo Montoya. <laughs> so now that we've covered all this, ju- just what does an enterprising fallen Aussie loving player do with all of it? How do we bring it all together and actually get a good fallen Aussie character on the table? What character decisions and mechanical choices do you need to make? How do you actually become a fallen Aussie or learn their ways? You know, from a, from a gaming perspective. Dave, talk to me first oh. about about being a fallen Nazi. I mean, are there some some key points that a player needs to keep in his mind if they're playing this type of character? Yes, for your role playing enjoyment and that for the your, the rest of your group and just you know in general. Just remember, as a fallen Nazi character, that you have certain personality and habitual traits that exemplify your beliefs and societal structures. So you value your privacy above anything else. You're solitary. You're very weary to trust others until they've proven themselves to you. Generally quiet and would rather be unnoticed. You might very well use an unassumed name or fake identity when outside the order. Ooh. You travel very light 
never owning more than you can easily fit on your back. Material possessions simply are not important to you. And of course, you view the force as the white current. And as you immerse yourself, the current works through you and guides you. It takes you where you need to be. Makes me Full of in the chat, and you leave no witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, so Skype is jacking up again, hard man, hardcore dude. Totally hardcore. It's probably gonna drop us in a minute. You know it is. <clears throat> yeah, just because we're talking bad about it. Well, Skype's a little. <laughs> Oh, that is absolutely hilarious. He was about to say that Skype is a little douche, of course. But, you know, as he as Skype knew that this was going to happen, Skype chose to go ahead and cut him off. So that was just that was so appropriate, that was unbelievable. That's pretty funny. That was hilarious. That's very funny. I don't know what you were about to say, cut off like Skype is a I, I said that you said douche, but uh, you know. I was gonna say douche. Yeah, Skype to douche, douchey Skype. Funny. Yes. So okay. We, All right. We talked about we talked about being a fallen Aussie and, and from a role playing perspective, some points to hang your characters your character on. Let's talk about the light and the dark side briefly. We That's usually right. like to do this when we talk about these new forest traditions. Generally speaking, the fallen Aussie aren't overly concerned with the light side or the dark side of the force. I mean, what? both concepts are familiar to them. But their view of the white current, as opposed to the force, tends to exclude them both from from an ontological perspective. Um, now, in practice, the dark side is not kindly looked upon, mostly because by its very nature, it requires one to strive for acquisition of power, which is not at all in line with the communalist philosophy of non-detection and non-interference that the Falunasi embody. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to Call upon the dark side, and and you're gonna forget about me. <laughs> it's just yeah. not fair. No. no, I'm going to dark rage and disappear, and disappear. Ha! You can't see me. Ah! <laughs> now the light side, it can be very useful in terms of the abilities it grants, which can aid family and friends, um, which helps the community. So you know that that can have some greater respect among the fallen Aussie. But the light side is not holy in its own right. Not the way the Jedi regard it to be. It's not some goal to be striven towards. Um, right. right. And, it, you know, in, in the Fallen Aussie's view, it, you know, if the current took you that way and it led you to a dark act, so that's be what it. you should have done. Yeah. Because now, the... does that mean that you all of a sudden are immune to dark side points? Well, the current told me to do it. Not um, really. What woman? That woman just got out of is getting ready to get out of prison for killing her kids two ten years ago because God told her to do it. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, it's the same argument that goes back. But don't let a fallen Aussie player GMs try to skirt uh, dark side point handouts using this justification. The same way that you adjudicate what is light and what is dark, you adjudicate what is the will of the current and what isn't, and that can be worthy of a dark side point in and of itself. So there you go. Yes, indeed. So, yeah. So, Dave, let, let's say I want to play a Fallen Aussie. I want to become an adept of the white current. Oh, well, how do you do that, what, my friend? What do I have to do? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of guess 
and I mean, I'm going way out on a limb here, that you need to be force sensitive. Yeah, probably. All right. That's, I mean, you know, just saying. Um, I'm also going to go way out on a limb and say that you really kind of need to be a Final Nazi member. You know, not absolutely 100% the way, but being born into society is probably the easiest way. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Many species are members of the order, though. Most are human. So just remember that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> learning from the Falunasi is uh, something a handful of people in uh, galactic history have ever managed to accomplish. So it's uh, it's hard to learn from people who don't want to be found. Cool. Yeah. It might be possible to run into the generational wanderer for the Falunasi and learn from him or her, or to right. find the order themselves by happenstance and uh, petition them for teaching. As in Jason Solo's case, obviously, the Falunasi believed the white current directed him to them, so they consented to train him. Right. Now, stories are are told of the white current adepts who encounter a like soul in the galaxy and invite them into the Order. Although, there's no confirmed instance of this, um, it's not surprising that nothing like that has ever been recorded in the history of the galaxy. Not surprisingly, no. <laughs> no, no, not surprisingly at all. So, you know. So, how do you build a fallen Aussie, my friend? Okay, so you're ready to take the plunge into the white current. <laughs> Best way to do it. Let's talk classes, folks. Class. Um, the paths of the fallen Aussie, there, there are many. There, there's no real prescribed way to do it. Uh, you can do it really any way you like. Um, but there are certain uh, core classes that are going to lend themselves better to this type of character. Scoundrels and scouts are going to be the obvious choices. Of here. course. Um, you know, the, the fallen Nazi people, they seek the stealthy and deceptive nature of both classes. And furthermore, they're constantly on the lookout to find new lands and new homes where they can be safe from prying eyes. And scouts are rather helpful for that. New um, civilizations. The, uh, the scouts camouflage talentry. Natural fit for any Fallen Aussie character. Um, and I'm also a huge fan of a lot of, you know, earlier, gosh, we just had it mentioned uh, in, in the questions, you know, the scoundrel has many, you know, surprise talents. <laughs> ah, yes. Which, which can really ruin someone's day. Dastardly uh, and strike. And Fallen Aussie are probably characters that can attack from surprise pretty easily, I would imagine. Indeed. Um, in addition, I love the Scoundrel's Misfortune talent tree. It's got a number of useful combative abilities that, you know, the secretive and hidden Fallen Aussie would, would most likely master. Sneak attack, dastardly strike, you know, they're, you know, they have the ability to attack from being invisible, more or less, or from, you know, extreme hiding. So why would they not learn those techniques? Of course not. Um, other choices of note, uh, for those looking for a more martial bent to the uh, Fallen Aussie character... Um, if you want to go soldier, you certainly can. The soldier's ambusher talent tree, uh, which is all about attacking with surprise, is a great fit. And if you run out of force talents and you're looking for some soldier talents to take that really fit the bill for the character concept, the ambusher talent tree is where it's at. Dude. Hey, Patrick Stutzman's in the chat room. I was just about to mention that the author of the Fallen Aussie in the uh, Jedi Academy training manual is actually in the chat room. Hey, Patrick. <laughs> Yo, Stutzberger. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Very prophetic. Love it. Somehow he knew because the white current brought him here. Yes, the current guided him to us. 
Love it. Yeah. So okay, those are some some core class choices <laughs> and a few talent options. The white current versus the crimson tide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that's pretty good. All right, sorry, that was a left turn. It's all right. It happens. So okay, no, well, talk to me now, man. Okay, we talked about some core classes and, and you know a handful of talent options that are you know people might want to take a look at that really fit with the build. What about the Force, man? Use the Force. All right, so any class will allow you to grab Force talents, right, dude? And, uh, you know, the Alter Talent tree contains much that is essential to a good Fallen Aussie build. Uh, Talents like Illusion, Illusion Bond, Masquerade are all very fitting. True that. Uh, force powers with the target of only you, obviously, are great ideas to maximize the uh, the use of uh, surrender to the current talent. Yeah, remember that. So, uh, so a build with okay. a warrior's bent could easily make ridiculous use of that talent. Battle strike, yeah. surge, shatterpoint, kinetic combat. Yeah, uh, yeah. A character more focused on uh, personal protection. And uh, safety will find great use with energy resistance, or, you know, you mentioned force shield, phase, and uh, potentially resist force. And then, of course, the penultimate powers for this build are going to be cloak and mind trick. Sure that. Remember that if you're going for a true Falanasi, cloak, mind trick need to be part of your arsenal. (laughs) So, okay, prestige classes. All right to kind of finish up on, on some build advice. You know, when I was researching this, um, strangely, there's very few prestige classes that are Force-related that fit this build really well. Um, you know, the Force Adept has very few abilities that play to its strengths. The Jedi Knight's pretty much off-limits. Um, same goes with the Imperial Knight. Uh, so, I, I honestly, this is one of the few times for a... a um, a force tradition discussion, I'd probably shy you away from any type of, of force using prestige class. I mean, force add up. There's lots of great talents. Now you can take, that's obviously where you want to go. If you want to beef up your force use, especially because you're going to get the force techniques every even level. And that's a big deal. Okay. Not to mention the bonus, you know, in defense scores and uh, force points is huge as well. Um, but I'd highly recommend dude, the infiltrator prestige class. You know, it's not force related, but it really fits into the whole white current concept um, and, and follow, the, the Falanasi, you know, attitude in general. It's all about stealth and deception and sneaking up on your foe and remaining undetected. And I really like that. Yeah. Um, I love the infiltrator prestige class. And for a weird twist on things, if you want to play a Falanasi that relies more on the manipulation and deception side of things, take a look at the Charlatan. Another great prestige class that could be a really fun and unusual Falanasi character, but would still be fitting for the build. A couple recommendations there. Well, cool. Oh, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's wrap up our discussion on this unusual tradition, and, and let's, let's finish up with Eric's question and talk about things to be wary of when playing a Fallen Asi or when GMing one. Remember, that was the original crux of his question, what to watch out for. Um, so Dave, obviously, my, my player, <clears throat> talk to me about the player's perspective, man. 
Ah, uh, yes, from my perspective. It's not a build that I consider to be. However, some people would be would think that being a Fallen Aussie is like really cool. There's a lot of fanboys for it. There are. And I can see why, because it's a really, you know, this could really fall into a niche market almost, you know, sort of a cult following, if you will. And, you know, I mean, think about being a master of espionage and stealth, the likes of which that are no one has ever seen. I mean, you're, you're not just James Bond, dude. You're something special. True. But from a character standpoint, you've got a bigger issue. Especially being the case of how did you learn exactly what you learned? <laughs> right? So you better have a damn good backstory to explain how you managed to find and learn from the Fallen Aussie themselves. And if you are a Fallen Aussie, what are you doing roaming around the galaxy? All right. I'm just I'm just I'm just asking here because you should be at home hiding with your little tent <laughs> that you can pitch at any point in time and get that. That's what you do. You right. hide. That's right. Oh, man. So, okay, well, we so do, here's some good story some, possibilities. What are some story oh, possibilities, yeah. though? How, yeah. So how can, you, how can you do it? What kind of backstories can you have? All right, so All right. you're the generational wanderer. Very young. Chosen, to, chosen by your people to experience the galaxy before returning home. That's a good one. All right. All right. Um, maybe you were kidnapped or separated from the order. And by the time you broke free, your people had migrated. And they assumed you were dead. So your quest the is to, quest find, is your to people, find your people, which is very, very hard to do. So you can wander the galaxy all your life and not find them. That's an interesting concept. Okay. Yes. Yep. Or you could have been guided to the Wanderer if you're a non-Fallen Aussie who took this as the will of the current and trained you. Either way, be sure to discuss this with your GM first. Patrick's in the, stat, in the, in the chat room. He's like, you could be hiding from the rest of the Order. That's right. You could have done something bad, like made a public mockery of yourself, taught secrets, or ex- maybe maybe you exposed their location to someone. Oh, maybe you used force lightning in school. That would be really bad. <laughs> in the dark. So okay, you but you bring up a valid point, you know, and that's one of the real issues from a player perspective. It seems like is is how did you get to this point? This is not a character concept that easily relates itself quickly and, and without some thought into being an average PC that's easily explained away. Oh, yeah. See, that's it. Chat room came up with it. You created a hollow book account. Yep. Right. Post up the location of the Fallen Nazi. Ha ha. <clears throat> see. So, okay, what, what, what else from a player's perspective, Dave, do you got to be Oh, yes, indeed. So, for some people, me especially, it's really hard to be secretive without being a dick. <laughs> All right? And that, that goes against the D-bad and is very self-explanatory. So, you need to work this out, you know, this concept that after the first adventure, your party members will have to earn your trust. Otherwise, you're quickly going to be disliked at the table by all these people who are going to want to kill you after all. Yeah, I could see this being fun for about a session. And after that, if, you, if, if you're still being secretive with your party, if, you, if they haven't you know, earned your trust, 
that would get really old really fast. <laughs> I don't trust you. I'm leaving. Yeah, that would get really old really fast. Okay, so some good advice from the player's perspective. Um, from the GM's perspective, and this is really directed at Eric here, dude, so a lot of these same issues can exist on the other side of the screen when you got to fall an Aussie at the table. But I think the most important one is one that only the GM is going to care about. Um, now, to start off with, though, again, again, the backstory. This is the same as what Dave was saying for the player. All right. Same problem you're going to have. What is this guy doing here? How is he here? Work with him. Come up with something creative and yet plausible. But more importantly, work with it and use it as a hook. Okay. If the player is a Falanasi themselves, Use their love of their people as a prod for plot development, okay? Especially when knowledge of their location becomes public or or the threat of such an event looms on the horizon. What a great way to motivate the player. If, you know, as Patrick suggests, he's hiding from his own people, then he's a hunted man, dude. Imagine imagine dozens of Jedi ninjas, basically, these Falanasi popping out of the shadows everywhere you set down in port to kill you. <laughs> wow. Oh, and we can't detect them at all. Ever. Use the sensors. Nope. Not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, use it. Use it. Be it. Make it a hook. Yeah. Now, the other thing, the second thing you really need to worry about as GM is the fact that you've got someone who is unseen and unheard in the worst way possible. This is something you really, really, really have to think about, Eric. You have a player who has got serious potential to walk all over your campaign, a player who can literally be a ghost and walked undetected past armies of bad guys and the most sophisticated security and sensor equipment in existence. It's like, you know, as a GM, it's like, man, I spent six hours designing that encounter, and he just walked the party right past it. <laughs> it, it can suck, all right? How do you combat it, Eric? The key here is to give the characters goals that will force them to reveal themselves. Encounters shouldn't be just bad guys simply trying to kill the heroes or threats that they have to get past in order to move on. Encounter goals should involve rescues, information gathering, and other unusual goals that can't easily be bypassed through the use of the Fallen Aussie's abilities. Just a thought and something to consider. But if you are one of those GMs, you do need to you do need to talk exactly like that when you say what's you, like that when you spent six hours. Man, I spent six hours designing that encounter. I spent six hours designing that encounter. Yes, it's the destiny point rule. Like, I spent three hours building that NPC, and they killed him in three rounds. <laughs> I love destiny points. So do I. Uh, well, that brings to a close our brief look at the Falanasi. Big thanks to Patrick Stutzman for the awesome write-up he did in Jadam. And if you guys uh, pick up Jedi Academy Training Manual, you can learn a lot more about the Falanasi. They're pretty darn cool. They got a lot of fanboy love. And big thanks to Eric for writing in that question. It was greatly appreciated. Super duper. <laughs> All the sounds we play. <laughs> this one is perhaps the most beloved and the most hated, all at the same time. I know it. I know it. Because it means the end of yet another show. It do. That's the last, it it the last show I might add before nominations for Ennies are announced. Oh, keep your fingers crossed, Gamer Nation. We'll keep you posted. We'll keep you posted. 
but of course. Now, next week, I have a host of issues going on. And my daughter uh, turns 15 years old. Oh, that's right. Yes, indeed. So, Sunday, 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 we've got a giant party going on. And uh, won't be able to podcast. But, uh, you know, if you're in town on July 4th. I don't know yet. We'll see, we'll see what we're going to do. We'll see what we do. So we do a fourth, a fourth podcast might be a lot of fun. Yeah, it might be. We'll keep you posted, Gamer Nation, on the next cast date. Of course, how are you going to find out? Well, gosh, get to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and register. Become a member of the Gamer Nation and speak your mind. Well, what else, Dave? They can follow us on Twitter, no? Twitter. I am GM Dave. He is GM Chris. Yes. Yes, indeed. Can, uh, we have a Facebook page. Oh, yeah. We have the D20 Radio Facebook page, which a lot of people are members of, which I didn't even know, which is really cool. But, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, throw us an iTunes review, dudes and dudettes, gamer chicks, gamer guys. While you're at it. And while you're on the Internet and you're feeling saucy, email us uh, a, a liner. Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast or or call the Lusa line, 206 600 Give us a question you'd like answered or leave us a, a liner there, and uh, we'd love to get it. And do what Eric did. PM us. Email us. Call us and tell us what you would like discussed on the show. We are here to talk about what you want to talk about. Yes. Saga nuts. We are yes. here for you. Yes. Yes, we are. are. Thank you all for listening and being with us to this temple of uh, insanity. This is GM Chris signing off and wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And, um, keep the dice all Yeah. 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 D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorced by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content on this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.